We're gonna transition into the time in the word and I want to start as we always do with prayer and I think you're gonna see uh, how what we just experienced together as a church is encouraged and proclaimed in the, in the word. So I think you're gonna see that. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for a chance to be gathered together as your people to worship you, to trust you, to lean on you and to proclaim the truth of your great love for us. We pray, Lord, this morning that um, whatever has brought us to where we are today, that we would have an attentiveness to you, to your Holy Spirit, and to your teaching, that we might be drawn nearer to you and nearer to one another, and that we might grow in the likeness and image of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. And that's a lot of stuff, Father, but that we might draw near to you as our Heavenly Father, the Father who gives all good gifts. And so we thank you for that. We pray this morning as you open your word that you would teach us from it, that we might be encouraged and inspired and challenged. Um, to lean all more, all the more into a relationship with you. Do that work, Father, through the preaching of your gospel. We pray you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, continue this morning in a series called Life Together, um, which is a, a look at uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's a finishing of the series we did on 1 Corinthians, and I, I mention that again today because we're gonna tie in some 1 Corinthians stuff today as we continue in the series. Uh, last week we talked about the idea that everybody hurts, and I remember whenever I thought about that for Mother's Day, I'm like, That's, this is not a great Mother's Day message, um, but God <laughs> sovereignly um, used his word to minister to many of us and the reality of everyone hurts. Um, as I came in this morning, some folks showed up for load in and um, to help out because one of the things we talked about last week is that God is our comforter and all of our pressures, right? And uh, as some of you may have heard and our prayer team has been fervently praying for, I always tell you if you have prayer concerns, submit it to the prayer team. Uh, Tuesday? I couldn't walk. <laughs> this is crazy, but I hurt my back. It's, it's not that big of a deal, except that I have never experienced anything like it in my life. I couldn't, I got home by the grace of God, and I couldn't get off the floor. And, uh, and I won't go into detail, because it doesn't matter. You can ask me later. It was super embarrassing, but what I realized in that moment, and the reason I mentioned the Munchoke for Loden this morning, I'll just name names, Steve. <laughs> Steve Hams goes, uh, the Lord's maybe teaching us something about the needing for comfort <laughs> and being able to comfort others. And I want to share something about that, Steve, because it's funny, but as I lay there unable to stand, and I mean literally I could not, could not stand up. I cannot explain it. I talked to a couple of brothers and sisters, and they go, oh, yeah, no, I've had that experience. So if you're younger, maybe get ready for that idea that you're going to maybe one day have that same. You will, you will, I will say this, end up in that situation in some way in your life. But you know what came to mind for me? It wasn't my own inability to stand up, and I was crying out to God. I'm like, okay, God, you know, and I was doing all the stuff, trying to work it out in my mind, because I could not understand what happened. But what happened for me was this. God brought to mind all the brothers and sisters who I had witnessed in a very similar situation before. And I felt connected. I didn't feel alone in it. I'd seen people who'd gone through similar things, not this thing, this weird no injury back thing, but not being able to stand up, not being able to get out of the bed, having to have people bring you food and offer to cut up your food for you. I mean, these things that are just incredibly humbling. But in the middle of that, I heard witnesses who had gone before me 
saying that there's a God who comforts us in all of our struggles. Although, I mean, and can I just say, praise God, I'm standing. <laughs> so I didn't want to do that a lot longer. And I went to the doctor. Some of you might think, you know, Bill went to the doctor. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's an indicator. Bill took medication too. I mean, it was crazy. And name and names, Brittany Anders came over and got me off the floor. Praise God. I want, to, I want us this morning when we get into God's word to think back on our life. Um, and think back to the life that you had planned for yourself. And maybe for you, this is the life before you knew Christ. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the plans you had when you came to know Christ that you thought your life would be like. And I wonder, um, how is that plan working out for you? Is the life you have today the life you thought you would have then? Well, today we're gonna look at 2 Corinthians and, and kind of think about this idea that for all of us, and I almost put for many of us, I'm like, no, I think for all of us, plans change. It's a reality. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through um, 23. We're going to see where we end up there, but that's probably where we're going to end up. So chapter 1, verses 8 through 23. And we're going to, someone asked me that, by the way, I encourage you all to read the entire book of 2 Corinthians. And I said it's about a half hour. And someone's like, well, a little longer than a half hour. So a little longer than a half hour, but you can do it, right? I'd encourage you to be reading it and asking what God is teaching us through it. But we are going to go line by line through this, this book over the next several weeks until we are through the book. So picking up in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this, Paul and Timothy. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. Province of Asia, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despised even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead." He has delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in our answer to the prayers of many, in answer to the prayers of many. So we're gonna unpack that first part a little bit here this morning. But Paul, after his introduction and talking about the God of all comforts, and I, I said he kind of moves it from this like general idea to this personal idea. But Paul does something here at the very beginning of the book that's kind of shocking in that he then says in verse eight, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. He's like, I don't want you to be, the word uninformed could be ignorant. It means to not know, right? To, to be uninformed or, or um, not disclosed to you all the problems that we've had. I said to you last week um, um, that everyone hurts and Paul's now gonna begin to unpack some of his own hurts and Timothy's own hurts and the experience of ministry. He doesn't want them to be uninformed or ignorant or unaware about what? The troubles, the word here, troubles, means persecutions or tribulations that they've had in Asia. And I think there's a couple ways we can go with this. And the one is this idea of like, you know, um, suffering and ministry, like tribulations, like the church having tribulations. But then there's this, as we'll see in the book, there's this very personal relationship problems that Paul is wrestling with as well at the same time. So both these things are likely true. 
He says what? We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to bear. The first thing I want us to know as we come into this book that's written to the church is that ministry um, is, what does it say? Ministry is real life. And I want to encourage you maybe in your notes to, to, to maybe, I go, ministry, that's, well, that's such a churchy word, right? So maybe write over ministry, um, uh, being Christian is real life. Well, being a Christian, believing. Um, wait, maybe serving is real life. Or here's one, being the church, which is what First Corinthians was about, was Paul wrote to the church about how to be the church, how we ought to be the church. Because being the church is real life. And Paul's going to begin to unpack very real problems with the church that he himself has endured. Um, this is not something that would, you would normally think a leader in a ministry would do to start to, to, to confess all the difficulties and hardships that they've had. But I want you to see, not only does he confess it, but he says, um, uh, we don't want you to be ignorant about this, the hardships that we've suffered, the pressures that we're under in Asia, right? In the province of Asia. But listen to what he says. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. The word is, is hyper, hyper, balo, being, being exceedingly more than we could possibly endure. As a matter of fact, he says, so much so that we even despaired of life itself. Sometimes, for better or for worse, in, in church world, we kind of throw all these little quippy phrases, right? And I've heard people who claim to believe in Christ, like you and I do, say this to me before, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that before? He'll never give you more than you can handle. And, and, and we're like, yeah, so, you know, if someone one time said, God will never give you more than he can trust you with, and they said, I wish God didn't trust me so much, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, okay, I found it, <laughs> I'm at my limit. That, but, but some people say that, but Paul says here that it was, it was more, more, exceedingly more than they could possibly stand. We were under greater pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says and Timothy, so that we, and look at the we here again, we despaired even of life. And the word actually reads, the Greek reads, we despaired of living itself. Sometimes people talk about the Bible and they say, how is that relevant to real life? Man, I feel like some some of, all of us in some ways, right, in our culture, get to a point where we despair of life itself. How can we go on living? And Paul and Timothy write this letter to the church and they say, we are wondering, we were wondering how we could even continue living. If, lest you think I'm being too hyperbolic, hyper hyperbolic, right? Nine, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death like they had been condemned to die. Paul and Timothy began to actually believe being sent to Asia with the gospel that they were sent to, to die there, that they weren't going to make it. Have you ever faced something that is so hard you're not sure you could even go on living? You see, those words come out so easy and cheap, but the reality is that when we are in those hardships of being pressed in, it's such a deep thing when you're in that state that you can't even imagine 
what's next or what to do or what the plan is. That, that you, you will literally end up hopeless in those moments. We felt that we had received a sentence of death, right? What would a sentence of death be? To be abandoned by God, to, to, be, to be neglected by God? What would that really look like? And here's the question, why would God put Paul and Timothy through these things? Why? The word tells us, nine, indeed, we felt in our hearts, in our hearts, that we had been sentenced to death. Here's what he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Isn't that strange? Paul says, we were put in a situation that we would stop relying on ourselves. It's almost as if to say, God won't give you more than you can handle is the rah-rah thing because we think, well, we can go handle it. That's the brokenness of that. And the more you think you can handle it, the more comes your way until you finally realize, I can't handle this. And in the moment, what does the word say? In order that we might rely upon God. Wait, not just any God, but the God who raises the dead. What are you afraid of? I might die. That's going to be okay. God who raises the dead, who can make all things right, is the one that we rely on. And so Paul and Timothy, in their, in their and I would, if I was a betting man, and I'm not, but if I was, I would bet that Paul and Timothy wouldn't have wished to have those experiences to be beyond their ability to bear. They were out there in the roads hoping it gets a little worse, Lord, so I need you a little more. And yet, they realize, I think those words that are said so flippantly, are hard won that in order that we might rely upon God who raises the dead, not relying on ourself. So another way... Um, you can say this is, then how would you re-say God won't give you more than you can bear? God won't give you more than you can bear without him? That sounds kind of a little backwards, right? God says, I will not give you anything that you cannot bear with me. As a matter of fact, it might be, and this isn't a combination, but it might be such a deal that in those moments of pressing in and hopelessness and despair, that in that moment, his desire is that we would lean more into him, that he might, listen to the word, deliver us from that oppression, from that place, that we might lean all the more into the only one who can save. That's Paul's testimony that he's invited, he invites us into life with him in those places. So this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, what's the word say, who raises the dead, right? 10, here's Paul's confession. He has delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us again. <laughs> So Paul's like, not only is it historically true that God has delivered us or saved us, right, but that he will deliver us again. Paul and Timothy have experienced these things with Christ in their own life. And I, I, I want to say again, 
ministry is real life. And I mean ministry, being the church is real life. And so the more, and I'll, can I just sideline for a minute? The more we do life together, sometimes the harder it is to stay in life together because it gets messy. You start to know my stuff and I start to know your stuff. And, and we don't, as people like to be known, we kind of tend to hide. But the call in the church is to know and be known, to know God and be known by God and to be known and know one another. And so it says, he will deliver us and he will deliver us again. So Paul and Timothy's expectation is that not only have they been through hard things, but they're gonna go through hard things. And when they do, God will deliver us in the future. That's what they believe. God who raises people from the dead, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril that he will deliver us. Listen to what he says next, watch this. On him who, God, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And the word there is present indicative. It's like continually, he will be continually delivering us as you help us by your prayers. And so they're, they're like, we're in this together. Now, here's an interesting thing. I wonder, do you believe in the effect of prayer? I just heard this morning, someone said, we're, we're praying for you, and, and there's been some mocking of that. Please stop praying and do something, as if prayer isn't doing something. I even had someone this week who was praying for me when I was down on my back, and they said, okay, I am praying, but can I do something else? Which is kind, but I want you to know fully that prayer is doing something. It says, what's the, 11? As you help us by your prayers. And the word prayers there is supplications. It's very personal requests. The word actually says it's heartfelt needs. <laughs> These aren't like general things. It's like the nitty gritty. And whenever the church in Corinth had heard the nitty gritty, they had been praying. And Paul says, and that prayer has been delivering us. The supplication for the Lord has been delivering us. So we might not rely on ourselves. Uh, 11, yeah. That you've been helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks, here's the word, on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And so... Um, in thinking about then when we pray for others, I have a question. When, first of all, do we believe that prayer really helps? That, that actually, actually part of God's deliverance is praying for one another, joining together in supplication. Um, there's a relationship that's being formed, right? And, uh, but then does that overflow in many thanks, which the word in the Greek is euchristo, which we, we are gonna celebrate Eucharisto later in the service, communion together. What is God doing in communion and giving thanks? Why at the Last Supper does Jesus give thanks? Because God is worthy, right? So you have these heartfelt prayers, but Paul says that it might manifest in overflowing thanks being given for what? For the grace bestowed on us. Look at what the word says. Then many will give thanks on our behalf. That's not exactly what the Greek says. You know what it says? That many will give thanks for us. That sounds a little, a little cocky, doesn't it? A little arrogant. I don't think so. He means for the people, for Paul, Timothy, and the church, but for all of us, that they would give thanks for us 
pouring out an overabundance of thanksgiving for the gracious favor lavished on us or granted to us in the answers of the prayers of many. I don't know if, if you are like me and you have maybe a hard time asking for prayer. I love to pray for people, but I have a hard time asking people to pray for me. What is that? Or, just, or generally, just pray for me generally, right? But not specifically. Why, why do I bring that up? Well, this week I knew, I, I knew I'd crossed some kind of threshold whenever I uh, sent out the email request to the prayer team and um, my wife received it and said, good job, Bill. <laughs> you actually asked for some specific prayer. See, we've done life a long time together, that lady and I, and she knows this is not my modus operandi. Why? That that together, more thanksgiving can be poured out to God for his abundant grace bestowed upon us? When we petition the Lord, do we also give him thanks and praise for his perpetual grace? One of the things we've heard this morning already is it might sound really bad, but I give thanks to God for what he's done. That's amazing. That's the right response of prayer, that we would praise God. And connecting it back to Paul and Timothy's stories, that we would remember in the, in the present suffering, whatever we're going through, that God has delivered us before. And that that would build a hope. Remember the last time you thought this was the end of it all, and it wasn't. God got us through, and he will get us through again. Praise the Lord. Praise be to God. So Paul draws them all together then. He confesses his own hardship and his sufferings, and he, and he affirms their prayers and their participation in, in drawing together. And then now in verse 12, look at what he says. Now, or because of this, this is our boast, right? Because we've been drawn together, this is our boast. Our conscience, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to the worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of our Lord Jesus. And so Paul says, because of this relationship we've built with you, because of the enduring nature of our community in Christ or in God and his favor, right, in this Eucharisto, communion together, he says, I'm gonna be proud of something and I'm gonna be proud of our life together. This is our boast that we have conducted ourselves well. I do believe he's talking specifically of himself and Timothy here, right? We've conducted ourselves well in all of this, but especially towards you. There's two things that are happening here, I think, for Paul and Timothy. They want to be good witnesses in the world, right? They want the world to see and go, oh, okay, that's what a Christian looks like. That's what a church, that's how a church behaves and what they do, right? And, um, and that's one thing, but he says, we want to do that in the world well, but especially towards who? The church. The church. 
especially toward one another, right? That, that, that we would conduct ourselves in a way toward one another, and, and how so then? Two marks, he says here, of how we conduct ourselves well as the church in the world and amongst ourselves. The first is this, that we would have integrity together, that we'd have integrity together, that we would have a, um, an, an at-oneness, right? A, um, um, a simplicity. The, the word actually means to have no folds, right? Not a, we talked before about, um, the, um, about uh, Didymus, Thomas Didymus, you know, the doubled over one. This is like a simple thing. And Paul's gonna come back to the idea of simplicity in a moment, but this is a simple thing. I have integrity in the way I've behaved. That what, well, I can say this, what you see is what you get, right? And, and then secondly, that we have godly sincerity. So the first mark is integrity or a wholeness, and the second is godly sincerity. And by the way, one of the ways that integrity can be interpreted is holiness, but I kind of want to stay away from that a little bit because we think of holiness as perfection, and there's none who are perfect. So I'm not coming off the be holy as I am holy command that's found throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, but I am saying that this is more about an integrity of a oneness of who you are of learning to be comfortable in your skin where God has you. And then secondly, what? A godly sincerity or a purity. The word means to be judged in the light of day, in the broad daylight. There's nothing being hidden. And I wonder, well, why would Paul have to write this to the church and say, look, we have a clear conscience because we've always had integrity and we've always had godly sincerity towards you. Not relying on worldly wisdom, but relying on the grace of God. Why why is Paul making this case? Is it too much to say that many times in the church, in the world, in the church, we have a double-mindedness or a suspicion? Well, that's what they said, but what do they really think? That, that, that there's something that is doubled over, right? There's something that's not quite revealed and, and it's not what you see is what you get. And so um, how many times in our own life do we make it uh, complicated when it ought to be a simple faith, right? We live out a simple faith together. That's what Paul says here. My conscience is clear because I have integrity and and I have godly intentions towards you. And he's gonna double down this in a moment, right? But that, that you can believe what I say my intentions are. And there's nothing else. I think we come out of a world where, where it's pretty cynical. But in the church, especially in the church, we really want good for one another. There, we aren't intentionally harming one another. And, and why would I have to even say that? Because sometimes we, we suspect that maybe that's true. And it, no, it ought not be so. Our boast is that we have uh, um, holiness and sincerity or godly sincerity and integrity that are from God. Here's what he says. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. Isn't that interesting? The, The wisdom of the world versus the grace of God. That's interesting to me. That Paul would juxtapose these two ideas and he would say, we don't function. He's gonna come back to this in a moment again. And you're gonna see why very practically, but we don't function the way the world does. We're not trying to use worldly wisdom. We're trying to use God's grace. The word I tell you all the time for grace is charisma, charity. 
The charity of God is how the church of God functions. A simple faith, believing the good thing, hoping for the good thing, as best we can, being who we are where we are, and nothing more and nothing less. Here's Paul then, not worldly wisdom, but God's grace, right? So it might not even make sense to the world the way we function. We may not even be able to explain it well, but it's functioning in the charisma of God, the grace of God, what? Because we do not write you anything that you cannot read or understand. Paul's like, what we say is what we mean, and when we show up, it's the same thing, right? There's not two things happening. You'll hear the accusation come in a moment. And I hope that, I wanna say one more thing about that, by the way. When he says we don't write anything you can't understand, you could think of that two different ways. One is that Paul's writing simply to the church, and the other, and I think these are both true, is that the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom to understand what's being written. We ought not overcomplicate it. That with God's grace and favor, we can discern what's being written to us. He's not written them anything they could not understand or read. And I hope that, 14 now, as you have understood in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you, there's a lot of boasting in this passage, on the day of the Lord Jesus. What is Paul saying? Why is he boasting, his conscience is clear right now in the moment, and why is he boasting and hoping they'll boast in him eventually? Because he has a long view of ministry. Paul has a long view of following Jesus together. And you know what he says here? There's gonna come a day, we're gonna stand before our Lord Jesus Christ and all will be known. And in that day, all these things we didn't fully understand will be revealed. A fulfillment of a life of faith together. That's what it says, that on that day, we will boast in you. And he's gonna, I'm gonna push right into this. And, and, and you will boast in us together in the day of our Lord Jesus, the day that he rules and reigns as our our Lord in our hearts. So isn't it interesting, Paul's view of ministry is not short-term, it's not immediate gratification, it's not microwave Christianity, it's not even crockpot Christianity, it's like cook an egg on the sidewalk, right? It's like long and slow, you know what I mean? It's a long view that by the grace of God, he will deliver us together and that we will be able to boast in one another in the Lord Jesus. 15, here's no link. Because I was confident of this, what? That we are gonna have this end goal. We're gonna be together on the day of the Lord Jesus. We're gonna boast in one another, church. Because I was confident in that, I plan to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. Or I first plan to visit you twice. Okay, I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I, when I plan to do this, did I do, so, uh, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly way? Here it comes again, the worldly manner, so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no. What? What's Paul talking about? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the message, or for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. I want to just stop there. So Paul's like, 
I had plans to come to you. Now, I told you that he's affirmed their prayer relationship together. He's drawn together here, the confidence at the end, right? So he's like, in the past, it's all worked together. And in the future, we're gonna boast in one another. But then in the moment, there's some problems. And here's one of them that he says, um, because I was confident of this, I plan to visit you twice so you might benefit from my visits, right? And he lays it out very explicitly. Um, I said to you last week in the introduction the Paul, that the letters were written while he was um, moving dynamically and also um, relationally, right? This letter is a relational letter and a dynamic letter. He's actually moving around. And I shared with you that, that uh, Second Corinthians was written um, from Macedonia, right? Um, by the way, um, some of you asked about the introduction information, and I did bring a few copies of the introduction notes so you can kind of, if you want to look at that, because I went through a lot of stuff last week. It's not critical except to say that, um, that this is what he's getting to here now, right? So Paul's going to say, I was hoping to come to you twice. What's that mean? Once when he's going to Macedonia, he was going to stop at Corinth and visit, right? And then whenever he was going to come back from Macedonia towards Judea, he was going to stop and visit a second time with them. This didn't happen, or it didn't happen yet. <laughs> now, I spent some time trying to figure out this timeline, and I'm not sure I could understand it fully, but he writes from Macedonia, and it's either that they're impatiently awaiting a second visit, or he, didn't, he went back and didn't visit them. He does go back again after this letter, by the way, so we know that, and I think that's like Acts 20-something. It's in the notes back there if you want to see it. So he does fulfill the promise eventually, but at this time, it was not yet fulfilled. And so what's he saying? When I planned to do this, was I doing it lightly? Was I being flippant with you? Here's what I think uh, we, we can discern from this, is that um, we, Paul, like us, Paul and Timothy, follow God's plans. See, see, he had a plan. He wanted to visit twice, and, and then didn't happen the way he'd hoped. As a matter of fact, I told you we would share this from 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 9, reads like this. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter with you so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit with you. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord, here it is, if the Lord permits but I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost. So that's when he's writing the first letter. So he's intending to do this visit. He's intending to, to see them twice, but he's gonna talk about why he doesn't get there. The plans change. But he asks the question, did I make my plans in a worldly manner? Was I double-minded with you, right? Yes, yes, and no, no. Was I speaking out both sides of my mouth when I said I was gonna to come to you? And then he comes to this great passage where he says, now, here's what's going to happen. He's going to draw it all together in Jesus Christ. He says, no, 18, as surely as God is faithful. What did he just say? God delivers us. Our message to you or what we proclaim to you is not yes and no because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, we're going to come back to this in a minute, by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it's always been Yes. So that, that's a little complicated, I think. Paul's saying that what we want to know among you is Jesus Christ. That's the yes. 
And that, that means there's a dynamic here, and we're going to talk about it in a moment, why he doesn't fulfill what he thought he was going to be able to do in his, his own mind. I'm planning to do this, but it doesn't go that way because we're proclaiming Christ to you. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ alone. Begs that question. He says this, but what we proclaim is always yes in Christ. Here's how I read this that even though Paul had hoped to do two visits and had not yet done it, it was still a yes in Christ, that his hope to come was as effective as his not coming, that in obedience to Jesus Christ, something is being fulfilled in the church in Corinth for their benefit. As a matter of fact, let's, uh, let's jump down and, and we'll come back. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, 23. Paul says this. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I had not returned to Corinth. Right? He's not avoiding them. He's sparing them. That I would interpret that as for your good. Not that we would lord it over your faith, but that we work with you for your joy. Because it is by faith that you stand firm. So he's like, we didn't come so that you might have joy, and we didn't come so that you might, um, it might not be bad for you. What? To spare you another painful visit, right? And so Paul does it for their sake. He's like, I'm not coming, but it's not because I don't want to. It's for your benefit that I don't come. Well, what's, what's that? Let's go back then. We always proclaim the yes in Jesus. What's the yes in Jesus? 20, verse 20, because no matter how many promises God has made, they are always yes in Christ. And so through him, and the amen is spoken by us. I was going to say, we say the amen, the so be it, the be it so, to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both you and us stand firm in Christ. So he's like knitting all these things together to say it's in our relationship together that we are drawn uh, into this relationship with him. And look at what the word says. Three things here, actually four. He anoints us, his people. Paul includes the church in Corinth. He anoints us. He set his seal of ownership on us. You know, a seal's like a thing that, you know, like, it's like belongs, like a brand. On us, his people. Three, he put his spirit in our hearts as deposit, and then here's the fourth thing, or 3B, guaranteeing what is to come. So Paul says to the church in Corinth, and includes them in this, that all these things are given to us, and it's the yes in Jesus Christ. That the yes that he's so confident in is in the fulfillment of what God says he will do. I wonder if you believe that about yourself. Like, do you believe that as a believer in Christ, you're anointed by him? Do you believe that he has set his seal on you as your owner? Right? belong to him and that he has put his spirit in your heart 
we talked earlier about um, uh, praying for people in, um, uh, in, in heartfelt prayers. Where does that come from? Where does that shared burden, that, that, that heart burden that we have for one another come from? I believe in the church, it's, it's the quickening of God, it's the spirit of God drawing us in, causing us to co-bear and co-labor. Even when it is not us, we pray together. And then what? Guaranteeing the result, just like Paul said. And then he says these words, I call God as my witness. Like, I'm, I'm all above board on this deal. So, so we know then that, that, that Paul is following Christ dynamically, right? And, and I wonder then, in our own life, how are your plans going? And I asked myself this week as well, how are my plans going? And that was before I was on the floor, right? Like, how are my plans going? Are, are we confident to follow Christ and are we even discerning if the plans are changing? Are we willing to follow him wherever he might lead? I'm gonna ask uh, you to pray with me this morning for that very thing, and then we're gonna continue um, in worship through the word. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the time we've had to um, explore together and think deeply about what you're doing amongst your people and it's amazing to me, Lord, that this thing, that these relationships that you have fostered uh, began so long ago, but longer than we could ever imagine, that we ourselves, being um, uh, knit together by you, being, being called out of the world and into relationship with you, are part of your church, of your holy people, uh, not because of our holiness, but because of Jesus on the cross. And Father, um, first, that prayer is always that if we, if we, don't know that, that we would believe you, that we believe you for who you say you are, that you sent your son to die, that we might be free of sin and that we might not bear the burden, that we might be free to live with you. And then, Father, in our lives, dynamically, that we would be you know, talking and listening to you and to one another and letting your Holy Spirit dwell richly in our hearts, that we would be open to your work. Father, the prayer of thanksgiving is poured out. The Eucharist, though, that we give you thanks and praise that you are in our lives in this way. We pray, Lord, that all the more, all the more as we follow you, we might be drawn to you and to one another. Um, do your work among us. We ask that you would do it in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.